welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll review the Premier League action, including the one-all draw between Man City and Liverpool and a goal of the season contender from Alejandro Carnacho. We'll look at the main results from the EFL, including the Pyramid Pod Cup holder Southampton game at Huddersfield. And we'll finish up with Laura, who talks through Yeovil's 4-1 loss to Wellen. And once again, we'll have a go at winning everyone's some money on the Pyramid Pod treble. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Firstly, just before you get started, Lauro, great to have you back. Hope you're well. Yeah, well, the entire football world's gone to shit in my absence, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, I missed one show. Leeds inexplicably give up two points away against Rotherham. Yeovil, who last time I was on, were on a 14-game winning streak and have now lost two of the last three. And to top it all off, Alejandro Garnacho now holds the accolade for probably the greatest Premier League goal ever scored. <laughs> so I'm not going to be missing another one in a hurry. No, don't don't go off again. Uh Tomo, we'll get straight into the Prem action. Man City won, Liverpool won. Um Liverpool probably delighted with the point you'd say on reflection. Yeah, definitely. Um I thought I thought City were definitely the better team in the first half. Um and probably could have maybe gone one or two goals further in front. Um but Liverpool grew into the game in the second half and probably just because City didn't put them away, probably deserved the equaliser in the end. It was a bit of a poor game, really. City seemed to be in quite a lot of those lately, um, albeit the 4-4, if you ignore the 4-4 Chelsea game. Um, but yeah, another goal for Erling Haaland. He's becoming sort of, uh, he scores in, he's not like a flat track bully, is he? He just scores every single week and scores in the big games. Um, bit of a mistake for Alisson for the goal. Didn't think he looked great. I don't know whether Klopp will put that down to the sort of 12 30 kickoff and him coming from South South America. Um I thought Trent's sort of um basically the difference in his performance from going forwards and and going backwards is just like it just seems like the same thing every single week. Like Nathan Ake skipped past that Shabozlai and then Trent like with absolute ease to set up Haaland and just watch it on replay and it's just like Trent is it's honestly unbelievably bad defending from him. Um then obviously sets up Haaland and scores. But then then Trent in the second half starts getting on the ball a bit more. Um Liverpool start playing a little bit more and obviously he shows the quality for the for the goal. It was an absolute it was an unbelievable first touch and it set him up perfectly um, to score. And I can't lie, I absolutely love the celebration. And I um, I posted a couple of the pictures on Twitter and you just see there's the there's this like 10-year-old kid, maybe even younger, um, just in the front row. And he's just got, he's, he's given Trent Alexander-Arnold the double Vs. Um, but yeah, so it's a good moment, probably... Bit of a poor game, but fair point all round, I'd suggest. Lauro, obviously finish one all, but um, I think there was a, a chance early in the second half, I think it was, for Diaz to, Ruben Diaz to make it 2-0. Um, cross came in, Akanje seems to have his arm on Alisson, the ball goes through and Diaz taps in. Just thoughts on if you thought that was a, a foul uh, or whether you think goal should have stood there. No, it definitely wasn't a foul. It was it was almost a carbon copy of the one on was it Saliba or Gabriel for the Arsenal Newcastle goal where Gordon scored. It was almost exactly the same as that. And as Allison goes up, he knows he ain't getting it, so he throws his legs back and he takes himself 
off balance. Nothing to do with if you pause it, it looks like a kanji has got his arm on him, but there's no push or anything like that. He doesn't cause it not to happen. So I think that goal should have stood. But the difference between the two is the on-field decision was goal at Newcastle and the on-field decision here was no goal. So then it's got to be clear and obvious enough not to overturn. And if they don't think it is, then they shouldn't overturn it. So I haven't got a massive complaint about it. Um, but I thought I thought that goal should have stood. But I thought it was another game where City... This keeps happening, and this is what I thought as well at the start of the season. And it keeps happening where City aren't in as many games now where you just think the other team haven't got a chance. Like for the last few seasons, it just seems like, oh, they'll score in the first five minutes and then they're just away. But they've lost to Arsenal. They drew the other day against Chelsea. They lost to Wolves. Another game where they haven't won. This is at home as well. And I just get the feeling they ain't going to win the league this year because they're just not quite as ruthless. And I think a lot of it comes down to, I mean, Jeremy Doku's got a lot of praise and credit so far for his performances. And he's, I think he's really, really good up until that last bit. And at the final product, whether it's a ruthless finish or whether it's a clear cut assist. And if you look down through the last five or six years where they've had Sterling, who would have like um, lots and lots of goals and form and momentum, the same with Riyad Mahrez, they've got rid of them. And I don't think Jeremy Doku's replacing the output in terms of goals and assists. Grealish didn't do it last season. Foden probably needs to add more consistency to his goals. And I think they're missing that alongside, like I always say, the sort of Gundawins. And of course, KDB's a big miss. So I love the fact that they drew the game because it means that top four and top five are closer together and we're going to have a proper title race, hopefully, this season. But um, I actually quite enjoyed the game. I thought it was quite good, but a lot more even than you normally would expect a game at the Etihad again. Yeah, just on, on Doku, he got um, a weird thing about him and Trent's sort of battle was that Gary Neville gave Trent man of the match and um, the prem- like the, the official Premier League man of the match was Doku. So it was obviously a really good battle. And I think I saw a stat where um, Doku um, successfully dribbled past Trent seven times in the game. But actually, if you look at those individual dribbles, like Laurie's just said, there's not much output from them, if you know what I mean. It almost like he dribbles past, cuts back, and then passes back to Rodri, and it's quite a lot of that. Um think thing is with what you're saying, Laura, about sort of City not hitting their stride a bit, they they were the same last season. This time last year, they're like nine points behind Arsenal. So actually I think yeah. I think it's worrying that they're so far up and like, I know they're what they're one point off Arsenal because after Arsenal's win now. And and they haven't, they've not, like you said, I completely agree that they haven't hit their stride. They're not like free flow and they do look a little bit vulnerable. And it does always seem to be, gets to about Christmas time where Pep Guardiola works it all out and they go on a run, which yep. which I, I hope doesn't happen, but it's still worrying. But like the point I'm trying to make is I think they've lost a lot of those big game match winners. And like Jeremy Doku, I think he got four assists in one game the other day, but against Bournemouth when they win 6-1. You're always going to have those games, but so will all the other teams. It's when you're playing Liverpool at home and you need to take the game away. And Gundogan would pop up so many of those goals. Mares or Sterling throughout the years, right? KDB's been injured, which they can't help. The other thing is, you talk about last season. Last season was a two-horse race, right? This is a five-horse race. And I'm including Aston Villa in that at the moment as well. And when you've got so many teams that are thinking to themselves, fuck me, we've got a sniff here. They're not concentrating on the Champions League or anything like that. Liverpool are in it. Arsenal are in it. City are obviously in it. 
And you have to say Villa are as well. They're level with Liverpool, I think, on 28 points, two points off the top. And I look back at that Forest game again that they lost at the City ground about three weeks ago. If they'd won that game, they'd be top. And after a third of the season. So I think it's got all the makings of an absolute classic Premier League season, one of the best title races we have. And I'm not sure that City have that extra gear this year um, or have that percentage above all the other teams that they have in the years gone by. Maybe I'll be proved wrong. Maybe they'll go and romp it again after Christmas. I know what you're saying. It would be true to form if they did that. It just got a little bit of a different feeling about it to me. Like the other day, I think Arsenal were two, three, four points behind City. And then all of a sudden now they've drawn twice. Okay, against Chelsea and Liverpool. But, you know, most of Newcastle beat Chelsea 4-1 at the weekend. So, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just what I want to happen rather than what is going to happen. But I do think there's some um, some logic to what I'm saying there. And hopefully we can have a longer title race this year rather than just City blowing everyone away. Yeah, hope so. And I agree, six-horse race, uh, if we include Man United in that, who's about to have manager of the month, Eric Ten Hag. Um, Tomo, just quickly come back to one of the points you made there about uh, those take-ons. I, I saw something on that, that Trent got dribbled past seven times by Doku, the most in a Premier League game this season. The clip where you watch it, and I know you, you just sort of say about it, some of them, it's not even that he goes past them and then comes back and does nothing. It's like he'll go down the left-hand side and Trent will show him inside. And because he then runs that way and Trent's hold his position and Van Dyke comes out to engage, that's he's dribbled past Trent. And it's just like some of the stats, I know we've touched on XG, but at least XG's got a bit of science about it. Like I looked at that and I thought, it's not, you know, if, if, you, if you saw a stat that was, a winger goes past a fullback, dribbles past him seven times. You're thinking he's absolutely had him on toast, aren't you, all game? But I don't think that's the case. I, I just think that these stats now sometimes are just really unreflective of what actually happens in a football game. And sometimes you just got to watch a game and be like, has Trent had a good game? He scored in a one-all draw. They've only conceded one at home. And Doku's had no goal involvement in, in either goal. So I know I know the Ake dribbled past him and Shabozlai, but... Yeah, some of these stats. Boys, we'll move on. Um, Laurie, you touched on Newcastle uh, beating Chelsea. Newcastle 4, Chelsea 1. Um, Tomo, come to you just on... I want to touch on Reese James, actually. Um, someone who kind of has fitness battles. He's in and out of the team. Chelsea captain. People talk about him being better than all-round than Trent, but a couple of silly bookings and a, another suspension, more time off the pitch for him now. Yeah, I, I thought the first one was quite harsh, to be fair. I, I know it can be deemed as a sort of petulant, like kicking the ball away. I did think that one was harsh. The second one, once you're on a booking, it's absolutely ridiculous. And you've just gone, I think it was 3-1 at the time, wasn't it? And um, you sort of look you look around at your leaders then. Thiago Silva, big leader, made the mistake. Reese James, captain. They, these are the type of players you need to sort of stand up and put in a shift for the last half an hour to maybe get something from the game. And instead, instead it's the complete opposite. But that's Chelsea in a nutshell, really. We, we said that they might struggle against the Newcastle type team. And, they, and they're and they the type of team, Chelsea, they've just got too many youngsters where if you're not quite at it all at the same time, you get battered. And Newcastle proved that they were... Um, they're by far the better team on a day. St. James's Park, I think they've won five in a row there. Um, Anthony Gordon looked electric and he's obviously a big reason why Reese James looked so poor. Um, 
I thought that Lewis Miley look was impressive as well. I think he's only 17, isn't he? His assist for the for um Isak's goal was unbelievable. I, like he had me yeah. on toast. I I was watching that thinking well, he's obviously going to shoot and boom s- s- um slips in Isak. Great finish. Um but yeah, just just not a surprising result because I thought new but like new great result for Newcastle considering all of their injuries and suspensions and whatnot. So um but yeah, Reese James it's a strange one. He's basically been given the captain's armband because he's going to be there on a seven-year contract and he's probably, and he's been there since he was a kid, but it's not really a big leader in my eyes. No. Um, you touched on Anthony Gordon there. Um, Laura, Anthony Gordon, obviously, big part in the game, big part in Reese James getting sent off. I think from memory, should Trent have been sent off against them as well? Like, made two real, like, rash tackles really early doors against Gordon. He's having, like, big players, but also Raheem Sterling played well. And those two are both sort of probably knocking on the door for the England squad on that left wing position over the Grealishes and Rashfords. Um, yeah, I, I think Gordon's one of the players of the season so far. I think he's absolutely class, considering where he was last year, sort of in the wings and looked like a bit of a crap signing. I think the way that he's come just made that position his own, or like they've had injuries, but he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet for them. It's really, really dangerous. And it goes hand in hand with that electric atmosphere that we always talk about at Newcastle. Um, I think, I mean, in terms of England, it's just Sterling's done now, isn't he? doesn't matter what he does. He's not going to get back in, the, in Southgate's thoughts. But in terms of the game, I thought Chelsea were absolutely shit. I just, if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be absolutely disgusted with that. I thought just the attitude and the... Yeah, I mean, you said before, is Thiago Silva too old? I think you sent some notes over earlier. The answer to that is yes. It's a couple of those mistakes you just never see in the Premier League. Joe Linton's goal. Have you seen that, by the way? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just absolutely terrible. You never, ever see anything like that. It was basically as if he was playing against no one. He had another one where he was on the corner flag and he went to turn and just put it out for a corner. Um, and there's a reason that players don't play at the top level when they're 40 very often. And... Tiago Silva's showing us why, but it's not just his fault. I think the whole sort of the collection of players there aren't the right mix, as Tigo alluded to. There have a couple of good games and a couple of bad ones, and it ain't good enough if you're Chelsea. So they're nowhere near it this season. Potch has probably got a free free hit this season, but next season they're going to have to be an awful lot better. But yeah, wouldn't want to be a Chelsea fan after seeing that. And it's a shame after such a good one against City a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and I made one change to my fantasy team on Saturday, which was to bring Matty Cash out for Reese James, who looked like he had some favourable fixtures coming up. So, <laughs> shout out to Reese for the minus three. And now I've got a selection headache because he's not going to be playing against Brighton. I've just checked those favourable fixtures. They've got Brighton, then Man United away, then Everton away. So, I really did my research there as well. But well, can we just quickly as well? Anyone putting Reese James in their fantasy teams, like, yeah, you deserve everything you get. He's the most prone player ever. Like, not even that. He, he he likes a red card as well. I remember him getting, he always, he never wants to play. He, I think he didn't, he turned down going to play for England as well. Yeah, don't he don't want to play yeah. for England. He's always injured. And when he played, he gets sent off. So, yeah, that was a poor one, man. Uh, yeah, bad decision. I don't even like him either, but yeah. Oh, it's personal. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is now, Reese. <laughs> so we'll jump ahead to Super Sunday, uh, Tottenham 1, Villa 2. Laura, I'm going to come straight back to you because obviously someone who's spoke so highly of Big Ange and Spurs, are we now, with Man City away to come next weekend, starting to look at a bit of a crisis for Big Ange and Tottenham? No, God no. Only idiots would speculate in that fashion. 
<laughs> I think I think they've been I think they've been good Tottenham. Um, if you look at the the little mini crisis that you're alluding to there, yesterday I thought they were really unlucky um, to come away with nothing. The Chelsea game was an absolute freak, and Wolves scored two goals in the last minute. I'm not saying these are excuses; they they've got what they've got from those games, but. I've seen a lot from Spurs in all of those games to suggest that they're on the right track. And let's not forget, they've had half their first team ripped out. So it was always going to be a tricky period that they're going to have to navigate. I think they've deserved more than they've got, but they've definitely got the right um, manager at the helm. But fantastic win for Aston Villa, who I actually didn't think deserved to win that yesterday. But they've got a, a three points on the road. They're two points off top. And like I said earlier, are 100% having to be considered title challengers now. And they've got, they've obviously got the best home form in the world at the moment because they've won every game at home dating back to sometime last season. And their next two home games are City and Arsenal. So look out for those because if they've still got their record intact after that, they will be top of the league. And Unai Emery is doing one of the managerial jobs of all time. Yeah, that would be like, if that if they're all this side of Christmas, which I reckon they would be, if he wins both of them, they're going to be somewhere near top of the table at yeah. Christmas, isn't they? Well, they're somewhere near it now. They've got Bournemouth next and then City and Arsenal. So, you know, it doesn't seem right talking about Aston Villa in in the title challenge, but they are. They're exactly the same as Liverpool. And like I said, keep keep saying it, that ridiculous Forest game where they just decided, oh, we're Aston Villa, so we better lose one. It's just that mentality. And I thought Unai Emery, one thing he did do yesterday is he made a couple of subs at half-time because they were lucky to go in level after that late Torres header in the first half. He brought on Bailey for Diaby. He wasn't having his best game, and he made another switch as well. And it just changed Tillemans, maybe it just changed the game a little bit, and um, allowed them to break better. I still thought Spurs were the better side for most of it, but they they've got Ollie Watkins up front as well, haven't they? And when you've got teams that are uh, have got clinical players in good form, then you, you've always got a chance. So massive, massive, massive win for Aston Villa. And look, I don't see it's not like Tottenham are playing absolute crap, and it looks like the wheels have come off. They're just under a very challenging set of circumstances, and um, they just need to come out the other side of it, which I think they will. Yeah, a big, yeah. a big, um, shall we say, factor in yesterday's defeat was the centre back partnership, wasn't it? Um, Emerson Royale and Ben Davies, and Villa looked dangerous every time um, they got a corner or or a, or a free kick, and that I think Paul Torres he missed one just before he scored, didn't he? And then that Douglas Louise cross, if you can cross it that well, that deep. Then, then you're in trouble, aren't you? Especially with that centre back partnership that Spurs had. Oh, quickly oh. on, just quickly on Unai Emery, um, his time in in 2023. Basically, I heard some shouts basically saying that he's the Premier League manager of 2023. If you look at the calendar year, and I I had a look at some of um sort of Villa's uh, performance when you compare it to everyone else. And actually only Man City have got more points in the Premier League in 2023 than Aston Villa. So Man City have got 82 from 35 games. Villa have got 71 points from 35 games in 2023. And Arsenal have got 71 as well. So they're a top four team basically since the start of this year. And there's no sign of... There's no sign of that sort of um, going, going away anytime soon. And you wouldn't you wouldn't put it past their ownership to to buy a couple more players in January and strengthen. So they look really good, and obviously it's a great result. Um, but what uh, just on Ange Postecoglou, he he said at the, after the game that he was like really happy, 
And that was the bet, like one of their best games they played this season. And I, I kind of yeah. agreed with him in the first half. I thought they were unbelievable. They're just sort of wrong ends of a couple of offside decisions or a couple of port, like that Kulisewski had to score that chance, didn't he? That was, yeah. And they, they just feel like they start games on fire every single week. They did it against Wolves and they couldn't get those finished. Like if you get two or three up, then it's like game over. But um, the way they play, they always give you a chance, and and that's what seemed to happen on um, oh yesterday. It was a great game though. Yeah, yeah Son had a hat. Son had a hat trick of offside goals. Yeah, um, all of them were offside. But you know what that is, don't you, gents? What fine margins? It is. <laughs> um, I tell you what, though, Tommy, we we joked on the last pod about the two high lines, didn't we? And that first 15 minutes was like a basketball game, wasn't it? Just end to end. I was sat watching it like, what on earth is going on in this game? And I think as the first kickoff in the first half happened, you can see like all 20 outfield players in that shot where like, yeah, yeah literally Tottenham had taken centre or Villa had taken centre and you, they're all just there. And I was like, this is going to be absolutely mad. Uh, and it was, I was stunned that it was... Um, well, I thought it was going to be one 0 at half time, but obviously finished one. But I was absolutely stunned at the lack of goals in that, considering how end to end it was. But um, yeah, massive win for Villa. And uh, I was going to ask you boys about Villa's credentials for Champs League, but you've we've said title race, so we'll um, we'll leave that there. Mentioned Arsenal there. Uh, they went and won ugly. Uh, I've written here away at Brentford. Uh, Tomo hallmark of potential champions winning ugly, and I think something they spoke about on match a day of the world, uh, match a day is, as well, is winning one 0 at places like Brentford is what champions do. Yeah, and you could argue they've probably they've won ugly most of the season. They haven't really played that fluent, brilliant football that they were playing last season at all, and it was a piss poor game really. Um, the highlights really were sort of Ramsdale doing his best to to piss off Arteta and make him miss Raya even more than he already did. Um, uh, but it, was, it seemed like a big moment for Arsenal when you think they, they obviously with the, the draw early on in the game, early on in the day, sorry, meant that they go top. Havertz is the one who gets the goal. He's He's got a lot of stick this season for not quite doing enough, I guess, to justify his price tag. Um, so it did feel like a big moment. And... Um, it might turn out to be all, all important three points to, to sort of get them over the line. Um, they seem to be just doing enough to get over the line in most games this season. And that's, that is a, that is definitely a surefire sign of a team that will be challenging. Well, let me ask you this then, Tigo. You said earlier that it's worrying that City were further away at this point last season and then they come good after Christmas. Well, like you said, Arsenal haven't got going into their full scintillating best yet, which they showed they could do last season, and they're still top of the league. So doesn't that suggest that there might be more to come from them? Yeah, um, yeah. The yeah, other side of Christmas. Yeah, I completely agree. And and to be honest, the reason... I mean, City were brilliant at the end of last season, and they were just stringing win after win after win. But And they were obviously piling the pressure on Arsenal, but Arsenal did capitulate a little bit. And I do feel like with the addition of Declan Rice in that team and maybe even David Rea as the season goes on, they've just got a coolness and a calmness about them where they go and win these games. And they won later, um, they won later at Man United or against Man United. They, I think they won late um, against City. 
So they've definitely got that extra bit of steel about them where I don't think they will capitulate like they did last year, having gone through that negative experience. The players will can only sort of benefit, I guess, from that experience this season. So, yeah, hopefully they stay with them this season. I just, I just always get a bit nervous that City haven't played that well this year and they're still only one point behind, if you know what I mean. But, yeah. Uh- I completely agree about Declan Rice. I think he he's complete game changing sign in. I think he it sounds like he ran the show again on Saturday. He kind of made up for Ramsdale's error, kept it off the line to make it one 0 I think the Raya part though, I don't think David Raya is better now than what Ramsdale was last year. I think all it's done is create goalkeeper uncertainty and now made Ramsdale completely shot. Did you see the way they were hugging him at the end of the game? Ramsdale, it was like honestly like a pity hug, like a centre back had gone in goal for the final 15 minutes and like kept a clean sheet when they were drawing one all. And like he, he looks completely shot. And I, I don't think Ray is putting in the performances that make him better than what Ramsdale was last year. I just think that's a horrible, horrible piece of man management and transfer activity from Arteta. And I don't I think that ultimately neither of those two will long term be Arsenal's keeper. I don't know what you boys think. No, I think I think Raya will be. Um, I think he's obviously not been as good as Arteta's hopes, but I think he will eventually be there. I think they've got so much faith in him and the Arsenal goalkeeper coach, I think was Brentford's goalkeeper coach. Um, so they've obviously got a really good relationship and they, they back Raya. Um, Ramsdale, yeah, he's shot to bits, a little bit like Joe Hart at Man City. It feels a little bit like that. And... <laughs> What? Go on, go on. No, that is just so, so harsh. To no, yeah, but okay. Anyway, anyway, and then, and one thing I, I don't think is ha- helping Ramsdale is his dad's going on podcasts like left, right and centre and saying how, how sort of in the, in, in the dumps he is and stuff like that. And how like, as if like he's the only, the first player in history to be dropped. It's like these things happen. You go through ups and downs. You just got to, you got God, like just move forward and and work hard, but it just feels like because he's English and because he wasn't he wasn't that bad last season. I actually thought that Ramsdale, sort of in the running last year, wasn't great, and I think that's why Arteta's decided to make the change. But but because he's English, people are kicking off, and we're all we're always talking about it. But like I I think Ray is better. The, the way that the clubs handled it, though, is just so poor. Like, you've got to remember, Aaron Ramsdale was given a new deal, I think, in the summer. There was a big announcement about Aaron Ramsdale on for another fucking four years or whatever it was. And then a few games into the season to sign Raya and change it. And then come out and say, yeah, I'm a bit of a maverick and I want to have, like, you know, in and out keepers. When it was clearly just replacing him with a keeper that we want. We want to go in a different direction. We want David Raya. He's obviously got that sort of exotic play play out from the back type style that we want here. Aaron, you're a great lad and stuff, but maybe suited elsewhere. No problem. But they've just caused a massive sort of storm. Um, And then you leave yourself open to shit performances when Ramsdale has to come in every now and again after after his dad coming out and publicly saying stuff. So... um, Maybe there was no easy way of doing it, but I rate Aaron Ramsdale. And to say that he's shot like Joe Hart and should be shipped off to Burnley or Selwick, I think is no. But he looked shot to hard. he looked shot to bits on the weekend, and he, what... he had a bad game. He had a bad game after what's been an incredibly difficult period of his career, where he's had the number one gloves taken off him for 
not a massively good reason where, you know, I don't, th- I mean, people are saying now that he weren't very good. Like I thought everyone thought Aaron Ramsdale was class. I don't remember anyone before this transfer talk saying, Oh, if Arsenal want to improve Ramsdale, we're going to have to, Ramsdale's going to have to go. No one was saying it then. And then no, all everyone, of a sudden, everyone, they- everyone agreed that Ramsdale was really good last season up until the run in and the last sort of eight to 10 games, he, he might not but have. So, he so, might- so was all of them. So, so none of them were, none, none of them showed themselves in any credit last season in that well, run in. Well, that's why you know. Well, that's why he went and bought Declan Rice to replace Thomas Partey. That's why he bought Julian Timber to replace Ben White because they weren't, they didn't do it in the running. And you have, and right. that's why he's bought Raya. Um, what I will yeah, say, I, I do think, agree. I do agree yeah. with you that Arteta has handled it terribly. Even even on the weekend in his post match interview, he refused to to name Aaron Ramsdale. Like the the guy or the girl interviewer kept on asking, "How did you think Ramsdale did?" And he just he refused to even acknowledge Ramsdale as an individual, just kept on saying, I'm happy with the team. And it's just like, yeah, you're he, as a manager, he seems to be dealing with it sort of just with, not not badly, just straight. It's a real strange situation that he's got himself in. I, I think the British kind of football media and Twitter and things like that, when you're playing well, it's a really good place to be. Like if Ramsdale, when he was playing really well, had done that interview where he says he likes to turn around and give the crowd some, everyone would have been like, oh, he's a proper shit house. Absolutely love it. But when you're out of form, people are like, I oh, know that's completely unacceptable from a goalkeeper to admit yeah. that he takes five yeah, minutes. But- he did that interview this time last year, so it's just been resurfaced. Yeah, well, he, he, exactly that, exactly that. This time last year, we weren't even talking about it. Now it's he's out of form. It is completely everywhere. You know, yeah. your dad coming out and saying that sort of thing, all of that sort of stuff, just just adds up, doesn't it? So, be interested to see. I'll be really intrigued to see if he's like, I'm going to stick it out at Arsenal and try and become number one, or whether he's going to be like, I absolutely need to go. Yeah, they're not comparable to the the Rice and Timber signings, though. You've got to bolster your squad and improve where you can. Declan Rice is a, a player that anyone in the world would sign and improve a midfield. And and Timber was brought in. I'm not sure it was to play, replace Ben White because at the start of the season, when everyone was fit, he played White in centre back with Salabo and kept on dropping Gabriel. But another thing is, you can have two very very good players in each position, but keepers you don't normally have two two top-level guys who would start in every other team. Do you know what I mean? That's why the keeper position is different. You don't normally see it. And then just trying to play it as if he was going to, like, sub them off in, like, the 70th minute and stuff when he saw something in the game looks like trying to be, like, a maverick for the sake of being a maverick. But it's okay to want David Raya over Ramsdale. Just the whole thing's been a bit of a catastrophe, the way it's been handled. Yeah, and now neither of them played particularly well, I don't think. Um, and probably both are always thinking to themselves, when's the what's the next mistake going to mean in terms to me keeping my place? And then when you're thinking like that, you go on to make more mistakes. So, yeah, bad man management from Mikel. We'll move on from that, though, boys. Uh, Tomo, going to come to you. So uh, second half of Super Sunday yesterday, Everton nil, Man United three. Only really one place to start, though. Garnacho's unbelievable goal in the third minute just... Uh, where does that rank for you in terms of all time Premier League goals, overhead goals, goals of all time? Uh no, it was really, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? Like the the cross is so far behind him. He's got he's he's got a uh, got a stop in his tracks, and then yeah, unbelievable. I won't even talk about the technique, etc. It did remind me of Rooney's against um, Man City because it. I think both kind of. This is going to sound incredibly harsh, but kind of shinned it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but 
Um, oh yeah, it was unbelievable. And in the context of the game itself, it was perfect for Man United because the crowd were up for it. There was a bit of like, obviously with the whole 10 point deduction, they were really up for it. And for us to go and do that, it almost shocked the crowd into a silence for five, 10 minutes. Um, they did get going after that, probably after the 15th minute or so, Everton though. And they, they absolutely battered United for 30 minutes in that first half. And I don't know how that was still 1-0 at halftime. It was unbelievable how they hadn't scored two or three. Um, but then it's one of those, just one of those games where it just felt like it was United's day because obviously the the penalty incident happens and if VAR wasn't there or whatever, it's a booking and you move on. But because it's United's day, it did. It was a penalty, to be honest. But I, I don't know how soft or harsh you want to be to to change the, change your mind. Probably, probably because he's booked in for diving. He's had, he's had to give the penalty. If, I completely agree. If he's not booked in for diving, then it's like, then it's like, oh well, I don't think he's done enough to like go down in that fashion. If you know what I mean. But because he's booked in for diving, it's like, oh, I've got that bang wrong. Yeah, the booking um, for diving is completely wrong. So he's then got to turn that over. But if it had just been a no, it's not a pen. I think they looked at that and been like, there's a bit of contact, but the reverse angle, Martial sort of then leans in, Dunny, and yeah. then goes forward. Yeah. I think that booking absolutely killed Everton for that. Yeah, you're right, and. Then once that goes in, I think United played well in the second half. I thought Bruno, he's got a lot of stick probably on this podcast and definitely from Roy Keane about being United captain. But obviously him giving the penalty to Rashford seemed to be a masterclass because Rashford's performance before that penalty was unbelievably bad. Like, And, and then he scored that penalty and he looked quite good, to be fair, for the next sort of 25, 30 minutes. So hopefully that's a catalyst for him. Um, and then obviously the third goal, that was great football all, all round. So, and Martial, I think he scored nine goals against Everton now. He's always always scores against them. Um, but yeah, so look, good good day in the office for Eric Ten Hag. He's picked up 15 points from the last six games. Um, none of it's been convincing, but if you can, like a 3-0 win at Everton, even though Everton probably were the better team overall, maybe. Obviously, they can't finish the dinner. But yeah, look, good good win. Yeah, good win. Um, Loro, someone who I think you even mentioned last year when he had a bit of a performance and we spoke about in pre-season and I've kind of tongue-in-cheek said about and going to the Euros on previous pods and conversations with you boys. But just a little bit from you on uh, Kobe Minu. I'll give you a little bit on Kobe Minu in a minute, all right? But I am at my wits' end with this, all right? I, don't, I know there's only a small select group of individuals, um, people like us in the world that have the ability to execute an overhead kick like that. But, it, it, and I remember this when the Rooney one happened as well. It's come off his shin because that's where he wants it to come off of. When you're in the air like that, and Murph, you'll know, we've both executed this many times. <laughs> when you take flight, in order for the ball to go where you want it and have the control, you don't want it coming off the top of the laces because it flies over the bar. It needs to get caught in that bit between the sort of tongue and the shin. And that gives you the control to stick it straight back across the keeper into the top corner. And that's why Rune, and yet again, when you slow it down, it looks like a shin, but he's meant to do it. That's the technique and that is the correct execution. And Tigo, you were asked a question, where does it rank? And you didn't answer it. Well, I'll do it for you. I'm not sure there's been a better goal than that scored in the Premier League. 
I really am not sure there is. It's better than the Rooney one. The context of the Rooney game, of course, Manchester derby, etc., sort of gives it a, a different aspect altogether. But running away from goal to take flight and hit it first time like that and beautifully into the top corner. If it comes off any other part of his boot, like it sounds like you wanted it to, it goes out of play. So let's give Alejandro Garnacho, a player that I don't particularly rate, every bit of credit in the world for scoring one of the... I've two Man United fans here as well. And we're talking more about fucking Martial's penalty incident. What an amazing, amazing football goal that was that we witnessed. And the, the commentary and the shock of Gary Neville and all the rest of it that went with it in the first couple of minutes of the game. Fantastic, Garnacho. Kobe Manu, very good. <laughs> Great insight there. Thank you. Um, one thing I would say is... Um, I thought that Everton were in no trouble because they were only like a couple points off it. And I thought that that, that kind of decision would galvanise them even more and they'd have the players and they'd, they'd go on and comfortably get out of it. Results not going their way and just seeing how they were with every referee in decision, be it a free kick, be it a little bit of petulance from an opposition, how they were with the ref and their thoughts on the Premier League. I this is a bit knee jerk just because of it's only been one game, but I'm just seeing it from a slightly different angle now, which is that it might be that they get caught down in the dumps of all of that, and every game is like a world against us. And some of these teams like Luton, who I, I will come on to in a bit and apologise to, picking up points, Bournemouth picking up points, it suddenly feels like if Sheffield United and Burnley are the ones that are going down, Everton are in a bit more trouble than maybe I I thought. I don't know if you boys agree disagree. I think they played really well and and I think it's a bit of a theme of this season where they like at home they've they've not been able to score the chances they're creating and then sort of the crowd gets on top of them a little bit and whereas actually they they've been picking up their points away from home so I think they'll be fine um on another day mate like they could have at half time it would have been 4-1 do you know what I mean yeah so yeah so I think their performance was good and I wouldn't worry too much about all that just yet. There's a long way to go. Yeah, they missed an awful lot of chances. It was one of the, I think I put in the text earlier, like how on earth was that 3-0 to Man United? The answer is something we don't often say is the quality of the finishing was just absolutely unbelievable. Couldn't have been any better yesterday and you were ruthless in front of goal. And we do have to say that there's been so many times that we've spoke on this podcast this season about Man United winning a game and none of us being really happy that they were any good. Well, you know, like we said, they're above Newcastle, they're above um, Brighton, they're sixth in the league, they've won five out of six, I think it is. Maybe there's just something in it. Eric Ten Hag is getting the most out of what he's got and being able to create create wins. And if it keeps happening for too much longer, they're going to be sneaking up towards the Champions League places again. So I think there's room for optimism there on Man United fans' point of view. It'd be interesting to see what kind of January you have. I don't know if this Sir Jim Ratcliffe stuff's going to have any effect that soon on. Um but yeah, if you can maybe add a little bit or change some stuff around and crack on for the rest of the season, maybe you will be in in amongst that top four, which none of us, I think, saw coming. But um, yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, you're right. When I looked at the league, I thought, oh, they're actually a little bit further off at Everton. I, I think we probably all expected that to be the worst possible time to play Everton yesterday. And that's another thing about that goal. We had all the pink slips up saying corrupt Premier League. It was a massive atmosphere. They were all booing the Premier League anthem. They were, all the Everton players were smiling. And I think they thought they were going to win that game. And it didn't happen because a lot of that siege mentality and 
um, sort of galvanization was taken out of it by a wonder strike by Ganacho. So they're going to have to try and find that again now for the next game and keep up that big spirit and that big sort of us against the world that is what they're going to need to do. But you are right, they're playing a lot better now. And on another day, Dominic Calvert-Lewin could have had five. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did miss some big chances. Just, just on United, we obviously said there about, I sort of tongue-in-cheek said earlier about manager of the month, Ten Hag. But another another game with a clean sheet, Onana looking better, Maguire looking better, Luke Shaw back in, I think, is huge. Martinez back training on grass, and we're giving him the time now to get over his injury, what he was like before. Kobe Mainu back into the side. The, the whole thing about the forwards not scoring goals, Garnacho, Martial, Rashford have all added one yesterday. So um, maybe turn a bit of a corner We'll obviously preview it more on Thursday, but an absolutely huge game against Newcastle on Saturday night. Um, but if they go and get something there, United, which they've not done so far, one well away from home under Ten Hag, then maybe you're right that we do need to start to talk about them with the, the top four and, dare I say it, title. When Lissandra Martinez is back, fit if he was fit tomorrow would Maguire keep his place or would he go next to Lindelof Maguire keep his place Lindelof's Lindelof's playing the left centre half back position this is why Varane's not playing is that Ten Hag doesn't rate Maguire or Varane to play left centre half he has them as right centre back so Maguire had no game time last year because Varane and Martinez had such a a um, partnership and you even saw when Martinez went out last year Luke Shaw played left centre-back because he wouldn't play Maguire out there. Now Maguire's playing really well at right centre-back because Varane got out injured and Ten Hag saying like he did last year, Varane will have to wait his turn so Varane's basically saying are you really saying I can't play left centre-back over Lindelof and Johnny Evans and Ten Hag saying no you can't so that that's why him yeah. and Varane are falling out now but Martinez will be straight back in next to Maguire, unless we sign a new right centre back, which I think is ultimately going to be what we'll do in the summer. Well, we've got Maguire's playing really, really well, isn't he? And probably over a bit of an apology, saying that he should have left because he had absolutely no chance of getting any game time back in the summer. But he got he's got his head down, waiting for his chance. I always thought Eric Ten Hag was full of shit, saying that he will be in my plans. But he's gone in there, he's keeping Baran out of the side, and no one's going to have a problem with Harry Maguire starting for England anymore, are they? Which is good for the Euros because he is always very good for England. Yeah, it's just, as I say, we touched on the whole Aaron Ramsdale thing and what the media is like there. You know, you've now got Maguire playing well and getting members of parliament from African nations coming out and apologising to it. And I've saw on Twitter. So, you know, it's really turned a corner for Harry. It is, but it's not the biggest leap of faith, if it is it, from Maguire and Ten Hag to say, oh, well, Varane is going to get injured at some point, so you'll be playing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, he's not, he's not, but yeah, but Varane's not injured now, is he? Or is he? No, he's, no. no, he's not injured now, but Maguire's obviously taken his place when he was injured and he's played well. So, Ten yeah. Hag being, I think he's quite good man management, just saying, well, you're in the team, it's your place to lose. If you start playing poorly, okay. you can, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, very, very good. And not just that, just what I'm saying is that isn't a situation that I foresaw arising at all. Do you know what I mean? If Rand got injured, Maguire would come in, but then he's straight back out as soon as as soon as Raphael's back. So um, yeah, very good all round there, and I'm glad to see Harry Maguire playing well because he is playing well as well. And if you got Mainu who's starting to play in front of that back four and playing well, you'll have Casemiro coming back soon. I think the ultimate aim of Man United as a football club is to get Varane and Casemiro, who earn I'd say somewhere between six hundred and seven hundred grand between them. 
of the club. I think that's what Ten Hag is doing with the dropping of Varane. And I think that's what will ultimately happen with Casemiro as well in the not too distant future. I think both will leave the club maybe as soon as the summer. We'll move on, boys, to the rest of the Premier League fixtures. So uh, Bournemouth won again. They won 3-1 away at Sheffield United, looking very, very glum for, for Sheffield United. But Bournemouth starting to turn the corner a bit. We touched on Solanke before. Tavernier got a brace this time and they, they look decent. Uh, Forest 2, Brighton 3. Um, just on that, Tomo, Lewis Dunk got sent off there. Am I right in saying that that was for foul and abusive language and he's getting a two-game ban for it and it's like the first time that's happened in the Prem for quite a while? Yeah, so now this is pure speculation and I've just seen it on Twitter, but I'm going to I'm gonna put it out there now. Apparently the Brighton fans are all um, buying a bold cap for the next game and I'm assuming that means that he called Anthony Taylor uh, effing bold, see you next Tuesday or something like that um, because... He got booked for complaining about the penalty decision. And then he said something straight away after that, which meant that Anthony Taylor sent him off. So, And it was a straight red, wasn't it? It wasn't yeah, a second yellow. Yeah, I think so. So I don't know. Obviously, I don't know what he said, but that Brighton Twitter thing had me thinking he must have said something about him being bold because they're all, they're all, they've all bought bold caps for the next game. <laughs> What's the line for that, though? Because you... You see it every time a ref makes a decision. It's like a minimum of a f off, isn't it, from players when you see them on. Yeah, but you can, but look, you can, you can. It's probably you could probably swear and say that's a fucking shit decision, all of that sort of stuff. But when you start being abusive towards the referee about his appearance, like as the opposed to no go, you can call him like a prick or something. But no, 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 that's that's foul and abusive. That's what I'm saying. But you can you can be abusive towards the decision, but not towards the referee. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a difference. Yeah, touched a nerve, did it, Anthony? There yeah. are treatments available. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not all about you. I'm sure there's far worse that are said. I know that that's aimed at him and not just saying, "Oh, fucking hell, it's shit." It's actually a personal jive, but it's quite funny. Just let him be. Yeah, yeah, maybe we've. I know something there for. No, um... to be fair, as as the the only podcast member who is bolding pretty quickly, I I I was triggered and I am offended. <laughs> Your team Taylor. A <laughs> uh, couple of other results. So I said I need to apologise to Luton. Luton beat Crystal Palace two one. Um, this will mean absolutely nothing to a single hatter, Rob Edwards or any of the players. But I would like to apologise to them because I said they'd go down with the least points ever got in the Premier League. Uh, and I wasn't even being tongue in cheek. I thought they were nowhere near good enough. But great win for them. Got a point against Liverpool, nearly all three. They've now opened up a little bit of a gap to Everton with that uh, result. And yeah, I will I will be intrigued to see if, um, if they can carry on picking up points. But great result for them. Terrible one for Palace. And... Um, Tomo, is there anything on the Eze um, injury? Anything come out on Twitter? He went down, didn't he, and had to come off. It looked like the sort of Luton player sat down on him or, or like that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but um, their best player this season has been that um, Decore, um, and he come off injured as well. So that's a big loss. Um, they... Yeah, he's he's out for a long time, apparently. Yeah, and, and that will be a big blow to them because they've had quite a few sort of key injuries this season. I know Eze missed quite a lot of weeks. Michael Elise, who scored the goal on the weekend, by the way, which was an unbelievable goal. And it was like about a minute, it's about 30 seconds after the Luton, um, yeah. the Luton opener. And he sort of cuts inside, does a Arjun Robin style 
um, top bins and then shushes the crowd. And I'm thinking that is unbelievable. Honestly, it was unbelievable. But yeah, he's back. But now to then to sort of to then get to Corey's injury it is a big blow for Crystal Palace. But yeah, they'll be fine, obviously, won't they? They got Roy. But just quickly on that game, as of Saturday, that game had the goal of the season by a mile and the ball of the season. Because you're right, it was a bit, a little bit more than just cutting inside. He beat a couple of players and then bent it with a wicked finish, my Felice. He's got that in the locker. And then Ogbeni's ball uh, for the winner for Jacob Brown was one of the best crosses you will ever see. It was un. I was watching it thinking, what is Anderson doing there? But there's nothing he could do. If he stuck a leg out, it was in. And if he left it, well, Jacob Brown showed you what will happen. Um, but unfortunately, it's now not the best goal and ball of the season. It's the second best ball and goal of this weekend because we had Douglas Louise's cross for Paul Torres yesterday. And then, of course, Alejandro Garnacho's wonder strike. So unlucky for that game. But it was nice to see it put first on match of the day, um, probably because it's Luton's first win at Kenilworth Road, I guess. Yeah. I think that they, I think Palace, at least they sign a new deal, which I think means that he'll probably be gone within the next summer or so. You had like City and Chelsea sniffing about. I think he signed a new deal to get a year's kind of bumper pay, but also mean Palace can get a bigger fee. I think Eze will go eventually as well. I think, and Hodgson's got to be starting to think about retirement. I think within the next couple of years, you'll see Palace, one of those sides, a bit like a, a Leicester or a Burnley when they've been up previously will um will go back down within the next couple of years. If I had to make a prediction, hopefully we're still podcasting and we'll be able to talk about it. And then one other game, I'll come for my weekly check-in with you boys. Burnley won, West Ham two. Uh, another loss for Vinny Company's Burnley. Um, again, any more pressure on him, or do you just think results aside, he is just going to be Burnley manager? I'll check in every week with you. No, I think he'll be Burnley manager. What I do, I do think he made a big error. I don't know whether it was in the pre-match interview, but he basically said that he thought the Premier League was going to be much harder than it already was. And I think it was in the pre-match um, like press conference. And I just thought, well, you're bottom. Like, how hard, much harder do you want it to be? And he, he was almost, it was almost a bit cocksure about it. And then just on that game quickly, I thought um, that Kudus... For him to react, he obviously gave away the penalty, didn't he? And then for him to react the way he did in setting up both goals, that cross for Thomas Suchek's right at the end, unbelievable. And he did really well for was it was it an own goal, the first one, or oh no, it was um that young that young West Ham striker who come off the bench. Um so yeah, really good from him. He he's unbelievable, and it just to me it just shows the, the strength of the Premier League when you've got people like Mohamed Kudus, who's been linked with Man City, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, all of these players, and they eventually go to West Ham. It's like unbelievable the strength of them. Paquetta as well, isn't it? But that yeah. one from um, Vinny Company is straight out of the Pep Guardiola school of um, trying to fucking mind games with the media. Because, he, like you say, at the bottom of the league and he's saying he thought the Prem would be harder. It's a bit like when City have won 10 in a row and then they go and lose a game. And like Jeff Shreve says to Pep after the game, oh, what did you think of that, Pep? And Pep will say, best best performance of the season. Best, I loved it. I loved everything about it. So uh, just one of them, I think, company's trying. He's putting out all the tricks, but it's not working, is it? No, it really isn't for him. Uh, and boys, just very quickly, uh, we have got some Monday night football tonight, which is lovely to have back. But uh, Fulham versus Wolves, probably two teams who play nice football and create a bit, but struggle getting the ball in the back of the net. Just uh, quick predictions on that one, Tomo. Nil-nil. <laughs> right. Where is it? 
It's at Craven Cottage. Yeah. Yeah, nil nil. I'm gonna go two nil Wolves, Kuna, and Quang. then that, and then they no, not Huang. They just randomly bring a six foot seven striker called Klasnich off the bench oh, yeah. that he scores yeah. in the ninth minute to win it. I'm thinking maybe we should start him. Uh, but yeah, I'll go for a Wolves win away from home. Just quickly, um, European midweek back, big games for United and Newcastle. Newcastle go to PSG, United go to Galatasaray. City host Leipzig, which they do every season. Arsenal versus Lons. And then on Thursday, you've got Brighton away in Athens, West Ham away in Serbia, uh, Liverpool host Lask and Villa um, host Legia Warsaw. So, yeah, we'll check in on Thursday um, on how the teams have fared in across Europe. Move on to the championship. Start Tommy with the Pyramid Pod Cup. Um, Huddersfield won, Southampton won. Adam Armstrong scoring again for Southampton, but enough for them to to retain the cup. Um, probably not the result that Russell Martin's mode have been looking for though uh, against Huddersfield. No, and and in if, if you listen to his um, post match press, where he basically he bemoaned the performance and said the players looked tired, which I thought was a strange one, considering they've all had well, most of them have had two weeks off. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those games. Southampton, they had 78% possession. They had 16 shots, most of them long rangers. Um, I think, Laura, you spoke a lot about sort of um, Russell Martin's style of play and they just sometimes they have these games where it's not quite as cutting edge as it, as it can be and then they get found out and obviously um, when you're only 1-0 up with five minutes to go away from home, and a late equaliser can happen. And actually, if you watch the highlight, that Ben Jackson, who scored the goal, it, it was like one of those cross, sort of in the back in the back stick where it evades everyone and and it goes in. It's kind of a bit lucky. Just felt like one of those days, I think, for Southampton. But the important thing for them is they uh, they hold the cup. <laughs> yeah, that's all they'll take from that, and that retaining the trophy. Um, so midweek action in the um, Football League as well. They host Bristol City on Wednesday. Um, Bristol City, I think they won 3-2 at the weekend. There was an absolute worldie scored by them. Um, if you haven't seen that, get on to uh, social media and have a look at that. But rest of the championship, because there was, well, across the Football League, some mad results, but some um, some weird ones as well in the championship. Uh, one that wasn't was Leicester beat Watford 2-0. Uh, Jamie Vardy off the bench to to score a brace. Do you see Tomo missed an absolute sitter just before as well? And his reaction? Yeah, I, I literally wrote that down on my notes. I've gone, Vardy missed the sitter and then just punched himself square in the face. But it seemed to work because he scored straight away after that. And then he obviously wins the penalty at the, at the end of the game and scores the penalty. So just peak Jamie Vardy. I just absolutely love it. I think he's a helmet, but you've got to love that sort of stuff. Yeah, just an absolute like uppercut to his own chin like what a nutty geezer um they've got Sheffield Wednesday away on Wednesday they'll be looking to um to to win that quite comfortably Leicester and maybe open a bit of a gap because on the weekend West Brom beat Ipswich uh 2-0 but Lauro in maybe not that great of a surprise because in West Brom a team that are in good form and climbing up the table under uh their gaffer yeah I, I think I think that's a weekend that we'll look back on and say that Leicester um, cemented the league title to be honest with you and w- when you set such a ferocious pace at the top it's there's no room for error and I know Ipswich are closer to Leicester than Leeds were but um, 
it was always going to happen with Ipswich. You felt that they were going to get come unstuck somewhere. And it's actually quite surprising to see a 2-0 win because normally there's goals, a lot of goals involved where, where as far as Ipswich are concerned. So for West Brom to win in seemingly such a controlled manner, whereby we always say 2-0, don't we? If it's, if it's just 1-0, then you've nicked it. If it's 3, the other team didn't turn up. But 2, sounds like they were comfortably beaten. And it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from that. Carlos Corbrand going under the radar at West Brom, doing another fantastic job. He took over last season when they were down in the relegation zone and took them right up into the playoffs until the right at the end of the season they just missed out. But they're a good bet for it this year, aren't they? Um, and a brilliant win for them. And they're only, well, they're three points behind Leeds now. So, yeah. <laughs> Just a quick one on that game as well. You're you're absolutely right, Laura, when you say it was like a comfortable 2-0 win. Ipswich had zero shots on target. And me and Murph spoke about Ipswich in the in the preview where we just said they just score for fun. But their XG that day was 0.16, which just, just seems like it was a complete off day. Um, West Brom, though, you, you're speaking about how well they're doing. They've got the second best defence in the league um, or joint best second behind um, Leicester. Um, I think them and Leeds have only conceded 17 goals so far this year. Um, and obviously it was it was an expert defensive performance if they're keeping Ipswich out, who who seem to be free-flowing, scoring 4-5 every week. So great win for them. Yeah, West Brom are top of the form table and they actually go midweek, they go away to Cardiff, who are third in the form table. I didn't realise they were doing quite as well as they were um Cardiff for Ipswich they host Millwall at home um but yeah I just wonder now if the Ipswich is like the they started to drop those points and now rather than having that gap it's going to be each week that they drop points you're going to have your your Leeds your West Broms it looks like your Cardiffs then looking down whole Blackburn those sort of teams that are going to be starting to chase them now so it'd be a, a different proposition for McKenna It'll be a different proposition, but one thing to bear in mind is that's the second game that Ipswich have lost since February, and it's November. So let's not write them off too quickly. But, you know, the rest of the, the, like you say, the chasing pack needed a result like that, and they'll be hoping to pile on the pressure. But they've still got a nice little gap, to be fair. So I would have put it past them bouncing straight back in in Tuesday or Wednesday's fixtures, whoever they've got. Yeah, it was... um, The gap's now seven points uh, to Leeds, but I think probably should have been five points. Sorry, just cash your mind back to Friday night football. Uh, Rotherham won, Leeds won. Um, just reflections on that game and probably two points dropped for, for Leeds. Yeah, we didn't hold on nerve, unfortunately. And Somerville opened the account after about six minutes and it was almost like we scored too early because we thought the game was done. And although we dominated, we left the door slightly ajar and they scored on the stroke of half time. But the big thing that happened in the second half, which for me is the first big decision that I think Daniel Farker's got wrong this season, is a few weeks ago we played Norwich. We were 2-0 down um, and we ended up winning 3-2. And late on, he changed the whole system. We had like three centre-backs, one centre-mid, and then everyone else was just attacking. And he did this in the 72nd minute. He bought uh, he bought off like Furpo and Kamara and bought on Paveda and Bamford. And it just was all gung-ho attack in the 72nd minute against Rotherham when it was one-all. We didn't need to do that. We were outclassing them. And we just needed to be a little bit more patient and keep probing and keep playing. And eventually, a chance would have opened up. And when you see a formation of 3-1-6 or whatever it would have been, yeah, 3-1-6, as a fan, you almost think... 
this can't be plan A, B or C. So you're just chucking everything at it and hoping something comes off here. And I didn't really have much confidence it would. And um, another, just on another point, another game with no goal for Patrick Bamford. That must be coming on very, very close to a year now, I reckon, since he's got any joy. So, uh, yeah, a bad... I mean, we were quite good in the game and some some players were quite impressive again, but we switched off a moment before half-time to concede the goal. And that was the game where if we had won that, I think Saturday's results could have been a lot different uh, or that maybe the Leicester game could have been different because if we had won, we'd have cut the gap. And as it was, they could play with a little bit more pressure off if there was any on them with the amount of points they had ahead of us anyway. But I just think now it's back to 10 points. It's kind of cancelled out. That Leeds win at the King Power. And it's very difficult to see the title going anywhere else now, in my opinion. But um, still all to play for for second and we're going to need Ipswich to drop off. But yeah, really frustrating night for Leeds. And hopefully we can uh, hopefully we can get back to winning ways on Wednesday. Yeah, Swansea home on Wednesday. So game you'll uh, obviously be looking to win there. Do you, you just touched on Bamford not scoring there. And I was thinking about obviously signing Joel Piero, who's been a bagsman, but playing a little bit deeper. Do you think if the funds are available, Leeds would sign a centre forward in January? Is that like a position that they would be looking to target? Or do you think with like Ruter, Somerville, Piero, Bamford, there's enough goals in that side? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think we'll be targeting. we got Rutter, Piero and Bamford and Joe Gohart, who can all play up front. And then you've got uh, you've got an absolute plethora of wide players like Nonto, Somerville, Jaden Anthony, Dan James, that can all do very, very good jobs. So if we need to strengthen anywhere, um, it isn't in the forward areas, in my opinion. I'm trying to think where we've been weak this season, but we've been very good. So yeah. I don't think... The, I'm not looking at the January transfer window thinking we need to bolster. I'm thinking we just need to carry on this form. But just annoying points away at Rotherham and then that Stoke game that we lost a few weeks ago, which are just needless. And it undoes all the hard work of like the wins against Leicester. So disappointing. But um, listen, we didn't lose the game on another night we could have done because they actually had a couple of chances second half Rotherham to win it. So um, we, we just got to take our medicine, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, fair, fair point. Um, so touched on Cardiff there and they're playing um, West Brom in the week. They were 1-0 down in the 95th minute uh, at Preston and went on to win the game 2-1. So I think it was, Tomo, 90 plus six and 90 plus nine goals for Cardiff. And that lifts them up to seventh. And they're only actually one point off the playoffs now, which Preston hold the sixth place on who they went and beat at the weekend. Yeah, and I've just had a look there. They're, they are linked with a move for uh, Kiefer Moore in January as well, which obviously he's one of those champions. Well, he's a good championship striker, isn't he, really? So if he if they can get him, that will only bolster their chances of um, getting in the playoffs and uh, getting promoted. The Town legend, Kiefer Moore, apart from the fact sometimes we played him out of position at centre-back. But uh, yeah, his, his career is completely... Picked up. What's he doing then? Is he just sat on the bench at Bournemouth well, then? Yeah, yeah, he's just Bournemouth. not getting a kick. I suppose Solanke. Oh, by the way, my we spoke on a previous pod about Solanke. I've seen that the media have obviously listened to the pod and caught hold of that now because he's being linked with West Ham's and and your sides like that. No mention of Man United yet, admittedly, but the only way is up for Dominic. Um, and then one final game. Uh, Rooney off the mark, not in particularly convincing fashion against Sheffield Wednesday, but wins a win for them, uh, 2-1. And he was uh, he was buzzing after the game. They do go away at Black- to Blackburn midweek, um, who obviously looking like a, a decent side. 
um, and in great form, but a big win for him maybe uh, takes a little bit of the pressure off of him. I was just thinking, actually, they must have Leicester soon, which must be the, you have Jamie Vardy and Wayne Rooney. So it'd be the Wagatha Christie derby, won't it? Same, those guys in the same stadium. So be interested to see if anything goes off in that. That would be a, a decent fixture to look out for. I... Do you just, do you think that um, Blackburn will be lodging a complaint with the fact that they've won every single game this season, but they're 10th? <laughs> that Sammy Smodic scored like 12, 13 he, goals. They win yeah. every week, but... They're 10th. But how yeah. are Cardiff two points above Blackburn? Yeah. Mad, isn't it? Madly. It is a nut, I swear they give like six points for a game sometimes. Yeah, but we see, speak about it, don't we? Like Birmingham feels like Eustace left ages ago and they've not won since. They're down in 14th from six, but they're only six points off it. So, you know, the, that league is just, well, all the EFL leagues are, as we always say, but that is just nutty that what three points can do for the championship. It must means so much for championship fans three points you know sometimes with the prem you get a bit caught up in like these teams are top six these teams are mid-table these are your relegation ones but championship every three points must just be so nice because you jump up three four five positions so great league and we will have a look on thursday from the midweek action right gonna move on to league one and i think the only way to describe league one on saturday is completely on spice um we normally go through each game individually and go through the scores, and we will do that. But I'm just going to read through a subsection of the ones we'll cover. Portsmouth 0, Blackpool 4, Bolton 7, Exeter 0, Cheltenham 2, Oxford 0, Fleetwood 0, Stevenage 3, and Peterborough 4, Burton 0. Just an absolutely mad, mad set of results. But we'll start with Portsmouth, who've been absolutely flying. I think I'm beating in the league all season. Uh, and they've just decided to let Blackpool turn up and score four. And Tom, I was really hoping when I checked that Jordan Rhodes had a say in it goal-wise, because we spoke about it being Colby Bishop versus uh, Jordan Rhodes, but doesn't look like he did, but still, great result for Blackpool. Yeah, and it was actually um, a player who was on loan at Portsmouth last season who got the opening goal, Owen Dale. Um, and they got they got the second, I think, just before half time it was. And then, then Portsmouth got a player sent off, Joe Morrell, picked up two yellow cards in five minutes. Um, which sort of it was curtains after that, really. And you're right in saying that they've they've been unbeaten. They've actually it was their first league defeat in 28 games, Portsmouth. So no one really saw that coming, did they? It was um, like you say, it was a weekend of weird results. I actually think you missed the uh, the um, I was going to say Swindon Mansfield result, but that's league. We will two, come on it? to it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come on to it when we're talking about the necessary decision. But you say no one at league, no one sort of foresaw Portsmouth losing because they haven't lost in ages. Well, the bookies did, because before the game, me and a pal were looking through our Ackers and we thought, why are Portsmouth over evens like twenty three to twenty to win at home to Blackpool? And this is a common theme. There's something going on here, and I don't know if I'm unearthing a sort of Illuminati style um, puppet string thing over the football league. But as soon as I see something like that, um, I think Portsmouth were never going to win the game because it's far too big odds for a team that are top of the league and won every single game to be over-evens at home to Blackpool. And although Blackpool are a good side, there's absolutely no right to go there and win 4-0. So I'm keeping a very, very close eye on things at the moment and monitoring the situation closely, uh, particularly in League 1 and League 2, because 
this sort of stuff shouldn't happen as often as it does. But you know, but you know, we have spoke a lot about Portsmouth, haven't we, this season? And they've got. I think even though they were winning games, they were like Luke. They were definitely conceding the first goal quite a lot, and I think they went two 0 down. Was it against Reading? And they they ended up winning that game. So, and I think um, the manager after the game basically said that it was the same sort of thing as um as it's happened all season, except they just couldn't react to going a goal down. So maybe you're right, Laura, this get this that result had been coming, even though they were top of the league and unbeaten. Yeah, and just just to add a bit of meat to the bone of Laura's point about teams that we can't believe are above evens normally that that then go on to lose, you've only got to look at the first 10 pyramid pod trebles uh for that, haven't you? Where we're like, we cannot believe they're eleven to ten at home. Uh, and I don't think we've uh, we've hit yet. So, uh, so yeah, nutty, nutty result that regardless of the odds and regardless of the manager saying that maybe a, a loss was overdue because 4-0 is a bit of a, a spanking. We speak about what what 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 means. I think 4-0 means you've just been completely outclassed, which leads me to my next question. What does 7-0 mean? Uh, Bolton 7, Exeter 0. Uh, Bolton go top now. Supports them haven't lost in however long, but now find themselves two points behind Bolton. I mean, Exeter must have completely down tools there. Um, Tommy, did Dion Charles have much of a say in that after talking about him scoring for Northern Ireland? Um, let me quickly have a look. But what what I will say about that game is what, it was worrying what um, Everett said after the game. Obviously, they've just won 7-0 and they've gone top of the league. And he said, the hard work starts now. And I'm just thinking, that's ominous for the rest of the league, isn't it? Because... Because they've just absolutely battered them, but yeah, Charles, your boy, he scored twice. Yeah, I knew and, those goals against them. That goal against Denmark was going to be big for him. Yeah, two goals and an assist on the weekend. Yeah, still behind Alfie May and Reed at Stevenage, though in the top goal scorers chart. So, but yeah, terrible for Exeter. I mean, aside that sometimes you know, oh well, they've been in League One for ages it feels like or in the football league for ages but that's an absolute stink for a result um interestingly for Bolton they go away to Oxford uh midweek which is a massive game and Oxford who I think must be in third place um they inexplicably lost at the weekend as well to Cheltenham who up until recently hadn't scored a goal um but yeah I mean great win for Cheltenham but terrible for Oxford and Laura bit bit of something that's absolutely crazy is I've seen some Oxford fans slagging off their new manager saying he doesn't understand the English game because he's come from Mumbai and Melbourne before that well he's from Oxford yeah, um, but yeah he did it I'll just say that's <laughs> he, mental he's literally born in Oxford <laughs> yeah um what I will say is though and I, I listen What's his name? Des Buckingham. I, you know, I'm sure he's a nice geezer, and he, I know he's got a massive um, reputation that he's he's developed after being the manager of Mumbai. Um, I've seen, I've been following Oxford the last couple of weeks, and I saw his first address of the players, and then I saw his post match interview, and I don't know. There just feels like there's something missing. Um, not rabbit in headlights, but along those lines, if you get my drift, and I just was- worry for him. I just worry that he might be like, I mean, he was second. They were second when he came in. So anything other than finishing in the top two looks like a little bit of a failure. And I don't know if he's just picked the wrong time. Um, and now they've got uh, a big game coming up with Ruben Rodriguez got sent off at the weekend. So he'll be suspended. And like you say, they've lost to Cheltenham who, although they brought in a very good manager in Dale Clark, you wouldn't be expecting to beat Oxford. So poor, poor start. 
poor start, but I, I've got Oxford in one of my preseason hackers to get promoted. So, you know, I've got every hope that they do turn it around or not turn it around, but return to form. Just a quick one on Cheltenham. We spoke a lot about their um, not scoring the first, was it 12 games of the season? Well, they brought that manager in and they've got 10 points from the last five games in the league now. And yeah. I think the um, the captain of Cheltenham said, um, who was it? Sean Long said that the gaffers brought like a, a new desire and drive to the team since his appointment. So it almost feels like that they, they've got a bit of momentum behind them. I know they're still in the relegation zone, but it'd be an unbelievable achievement if after that start and not scoring in the first 12 games, if they can... If they can um, avoid relegation this season, it'd be unbelievable. And I know that this—that's just the way football works. But don't you think it's mad when players come out and admit that that the new managers like got the players hungry again and given them a drive? Like, if you're a fan, you'd be thinking, "Oh, what?" So those games where we weren't scoring and losing, we just weren't even trying. I'd want yeah. refunds for everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, great result for Cheltenham, Tom. I. They, I hadn't realised that the form was quite that strong. You're quite right. They're up into fifth in the form table with 10 points from their last five. So maybe not as big a shock as um, as possible. Laurie, just come there's, back. Still, there's still five points adrift, though. So they must have been in worlds of bother. Yeah. Well, they were, they? They, they, scored a goal. They, were. they did score, didn't they? No. We celebrated them scoring a goal and they'd lost the game. So, yeah, they were, they were in all sorts of bother. Um, the manager saying something quite not right. Was that like a... Was that like a look to bit like where was it on a scale of like completely feeble and like just maybe not up to it to Gareth Ainsworth getting the New Zealand? No, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't Ains- Ainsworth lost his head. This guy just looked a bit like um, uh, taking a job that's fuck. He's feeling is massive for him. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. watch it go on Oxford's channel and just watch. Not even after the game, before the game last week when he went in, he looked nervous. Do you know what I mean? And even if you are nervous, the manager can't look like that. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. You can get eaten up with it in a team of like big pros and stuff. I might be completely wrong, but I've normally got quite a good gut feeling about these things. I think he's a nice guy with some nice tactics, but I think he might struggle. Um, but that is very, very knee-jerk. So let's wait and, wait and see what he does. Yeah. Uh, and then just two other teams that are flying and play each other midweek. Stevenage went and won 3-0 away at Fleetwood, as I touched on. Uh, Jamie Reid scored again, uh, up to 12 goals. And then Peterborough uh, won 4-0 against Burton. Um, so, again, I think both sides into the playoffs. Stevenage versus Peterborough, big, big game midweek. Um, and it wouldn't be a Premier pod podcast uh, without us mentioning Derby either, who are now up into the playoffs. So uh, I think they beat Bristol Rovers 2-1 in the week. So buzzing for Paul Warren and the boys, and they go away to Port Vale on Tuesday, where hopefully they can pick up uh, another win and cement their place in the playoffs. So well done to Warne. Tomo, desperate to move on to League 2, so we will go there. Uh, Swindon 2, Mansfield 1. Uh, a player that you spoke about before in Jake Young, um, sort of sealing the deal for Swindon and is that Mansfield's first league loss of the season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ends their um, unbeaten run. And yeah, we spoke about Jake Young. Well, we spoke because we Mansfield were my pick for the for the uh, the treble. So I'd like first I'd like to apologize to everyone. But we in in that sort of brief preview of the game, I did say that Swindon have got some goals in their team. And Jake Young was one of them. He scored his 14th and 15th goal of the season um, against Mansfield. And he scored for the fifth game in a row. So, And if you watch the highlights, he just seems to always be in the right place at the right time. Sort of a proper poacher's couple of finishes. Um, so, yeah, great result for them. 
absolutely unbelievable result. But another another result that you just you wouldn't expect this the weekend's like you say it was on spice. You know he's on loan from Bradford. Have we said that before? Yeah, we spoke yeah, he's on loan from Bradford in the same league. Mentally. Yeah, we spoke about that with like Paddy Madden from Yeovil, didn't we, before? And I think Bradford are um they they did beat Accrington one nil. Um, at the weekend, but form-wise, they've been bang out of form. Obviously, their new manager will be hoping to turn that around, but they must be looking at those goals thinking, oh, no, what have we done? Yeah. Sometimes styles make uh, fights, as they say, doesn't it? So maybe just want a good fit for Bradford. Um, not too much loss for Mansfield in that loss, though, because alongside that, Stockport, who I think were going for to break a record for the amount of league wins in a row in the Football League, went to Newport and lost... 2-1 and Loro in Newport, a side that we watched Yeovil beat in pre-season and thought would be way down there, uh, picked up a good result there. Yeah, struggling Newport at home. It was 2-0 up until the 96th minute as well. And it's just, this is the one thing after, you know, all my life watching football that you can just never put your finger on. Where on earth did these results come from? Do you know what I mean? Like Stockport just win every single week and then all of a sudden, up until the 96th minute, they're losing 2-0 to Newport. And they just throw it away. And it happens on the same day that Mansfield throw away their unbeaten record as well. So there's just no um, logic behind it other than that's football. And that's why you can never write off any team in any game. And it's probably why I know we're off the championship now. Sheffield Wednesday are playing Leicester this week. And I could just imagine Sheffield Wednesday winning because the, that's just the logic of having no logic in football. But look, you're not going to win every single game. Stockport um, are having a fantastic season. I, as far as I'm concerned, they're definitely going to get promoted. They're still five points clear at the top um, and it's only Wrexham really breathing down their neck now, I'd say, that are in with a real shout. Actually, Mansfield, to be fair, um, aren't too far away as well. But I don't know what I don't know what to say there. You know, Newport aren't a better team than Stockport, are they? They've got absolutely no right to win the game, but they did, and that's football. No, you're bang right. Um, touched on Wrexham there. Wrexham six, Morecambe uh, nil. Tomo, we spoke about Mullen missing that penalty at Accrington on the last pod, but back with a bang uh, at the weekend. Yeah, back with a bang, scored a hat-trick. He's scored seven goals in his last seven games in all competitions now. So um, definitely got over his um, sort of injury recovery, if you will. Um, if you you know what? The, the game makes a complete mockery of XG stats. I know I spoke to you boys before the pod, but I'll just bring it up now. Um, Wrexham had an XG of 1.41. And Morecambe had a, an XG of 1.35 and Wrexham won the game 6-0. And if you watch the highlights, um, it did feel like that. Quite a lot of the goals were like deflected, long-range shots and stuff. Just everything seemed to go for Wrexham that day. Um, and obviously they got a really good win up to second now, obviously with Mansfield losing. Yeah, I'll clip that up, Murph. Yeah, I will be clipping it up and we'll be putting that out. I, I think... What the XG XG stats mean nothing? Is that what you mean? Well, well, yeah, Rex, I, well no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. No, no. Let's put it to bed once and for all. Wrexham won the game six nil. And Seagull, please just repeat the XG stats. Okay, Wrexham's XG was one point um, four one, and Morecambe's was one point three five. They got the Stop result there. Pick it up. Move on. <laughs> Argument over. Finish. <laughs> The only thing I'll just add on the XG is, I don't know if you were watching half-time in Super Sunday yesterday, but Kelly Kate said that Alejandro Garnacho had an XG of 0.08. She was like, so that means if that had happened 100 times, he'd have scored eight of them. And I was like, no, he wouldn't. He'd score one of them. 
even there's no you way wouldn't even one of them. No, you wouldn't score never ever score again. <laughs> so, what a complete farce that all of you absolute lemmings latch onto. Yeah, the the XG yeah, at half time um, in that Man United Everton game was zero point zero four for Man United. Yeah, but they were one nil up. Yeah. And, but Everton's must have been over one because of the chances they missed. So yeah, I, I, theirs was one point one five. Yeah. So plays for stats in football. Sometimes just watch a game of football and enjoy it for for what happens in it. I think is uh, I think is what Loro is trying to articulate. What um, I'm trying to articulate is that Everton's xG was higher than Wrexham's. They lost three 0 and Wrexham won six. Move on. <laughs> Hard to disagree. Uh, another side banging form uh, in League Two. Crew they won again. Uh, 3-2 uh, against Doncaster. So, good result for them. They actually got a game in hand uh, on Wrexham and Stockport and they're level on points for Mansfield. So, if they win their game in hand, they'd actually jump ahead of uh, Wrexham and depending on how Mansfield win, could be as high as um, second and three points off Stockport. So, uh, a side that, again, we spoke a few pods ago, we've not really touched on too much, but they're absolutely flying. Do you remember uh, their manager's name? No. What was it? Was it Lee Bell? Yeah, it was. Bang on. Yeah, Belly's boys. We're going to have to look up Lee Bell a bit more because that's an excellent job he's doing there in amongst a bit of a Hollywood league. So we'll come back to that, Lee. Yeah, we'll um, we'll preview Cruz. Uh, hopefully, if they go and do the business uh, away at Sutton uh, midweek, who I think are rock bottom, if not in the relegations, then Thursday maybe we can have a bit of a deep dive into Crew. Uh, and then just one other game to touch on, Knox County, who um, I think they won their last game 4-2, but uh, they've been struggling a little bit overall. They lost 4-2 uh, against Wimbledon. Loro, um, the Tom Williams, who is the fan for Knox County, I saw that he did a little bit of a piece on a guy who scored a brace for Wimbledon. Is it yeah. Al, Al Hammerty? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's going to go on to be a championship footballer. Looked at uh, his um, his performance against Notts County. He looked a real handful. Yeah, he he's one of those that will be as well. It wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes in January. There's normally a couple every year that pop up from League Two. Remember, um, is it Asante Thomas or Thomas Asante, the one that's at um, West Brom? He was another one that got plucked from the league. Mamete, who's at Bristol City now. I know he was in League One with Wickham, but there's a few of those sort of like wingers that will get plucked. Um, or attacking players that just look a little bit above the level. And if you're above the level in that league, which is probably the strongest league two that you've ever had, and scoring goals against the te- teams like Notts County, who are very good, then it, all, all the signs, um, you know, point north in terms of the tra- trajectory of the career. But um, look, Johnny Jackson and uh, Terry Skiverton at Wimbledon doing a great job. They're eighth. They're just eighth. Me. So another win, they're going to be in the playoffs. Just a quick one on that Ali Al um, Hamadi. He was uh, playing for Iraq in the international break um, and he scored for Iraq in a 5-1 win against Indonesia and he played against Vietnam as well. And then he he comes back from that and scores two against Notts County. That is some tour. Yeah, I mean... Some tour, yeah. We speak about like the South American players who go away on international duty and then um, sort of come back. But yeah, I mean, that... That's some trip out in there and then back well, for and just a, just, yeah, just a quick one as well. Obviously, that he's no way he's getting a private jet, is it? Do you know what I mean? He's, no, he's he's playing in Iraq, then he's gone to Vietnam, and then he's back um, at Wimbledon and he's he's bagged two, no complaints, fair play. 
yeah, and Allison's performance about shanking a sidewinder is being put down to the fact that he had to play at half 12 on a Saturday and fly home from Brazil. So, yeah, respect to uh, respect to our hammer day. Um, they've got Gillingham as well, Lauro midweek, who I think are one position beneath them um, in the table So and on the same points. So a team that we obviously have got in an, an acker, so could do with them picking up uh, three points. But yeah, the, the, them and Wimbledon will be looking to break back into the playoffs and Notts County be looking to uh, get back to winning ways against Crawley. Um, we'll move on now and Laura, I'll come to you, uh, Yeovil. So last time we saw you, as you said, they were in imperious form, but um, seems to have dropped off a little bit and a bad result at the weekend, albeit went one nil up. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've spoken on here since that winning run. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had an FA Trophy game against Torquay. And at that point, I think we'd won 14 games in a row. And what the manager decided to do, Mark Cooper, was make seven changes, which I wasn't against at the time because you don't want to be getting injuries in the cut competition no one cares about. We lost the game. And one thing that you've got to remember is all the momentum or the momentum is affected when you change the team so much and you end the winning streak in such a bit of a damp squid of a fashion. So what happened then is we went to Chippenham and drew one all, which is a game, you you know, we'd really be expecting to win. And then I think all of it together culminated in the trip to Welling at the weekend where we lost 4-1. And I, I don't know what the explanation for it is. Um, we had a very, very good team out. We didn't really, I don't think we had any injuries. Uh, Jake Wannell was back, our centre-back who we thought was going to be out for a while. Um, we took the lead. Jordan Young scored again. He, I think he's in the top four scorers in the league now. He's having a fantastic season, but a little bit of a capitulation after that. And it was the first league game of the season I'd missed. I wasn't there to see it, but it sounded like Cooper said after the game, they run, they ran faster than us. They ran more than us. They jumped higher than us. They tackled harder than us. And although that's hard to hear as a fan, we are still eight points clear at the top of the league and we've set all kinds of records this year. So I'm not going to be one jumping on a negative bandwagon too soon. Um, we've got lots of stock and credit in the bank for the players to go and turn it around. Uh, oh, sorry, again, return to return to uh, their uh, previous fortunes and maybe go on another winning run. But all the same, well in the relegation zone and you don't expect to concede four goals to a team like that when you're flying high at the top of the league. But like I just spoke about when we were talking um, through Stockport-Newport, uh, Stockport-Newport, you just never know in football, do you? No, no, you don't. And please, um Former Glover, when they scored some goals for Welling, was it oh, Abraham? He'd done a little yeah, bit. I think, yeah, I think we had him on loan from uh, Norwich. I mean, that always that that doesn't surprise me. That always happens against Yeovil. If we ever play a team with someone in the opposition who played for us, they always score. So, but whatever. Everyone else lost as well. So we're eight points clear, and let's move on. And that's two sides in the bottom four now, isn't it? That we've shipped four against just well you know you speak about Leeds dropping some silly points those Welling ones and haven't points just seem ridiculous well the, the haven't one was a bit different because our team is entirely like we did at that time we didn't have Joe Day in goal and we didn't have Michael Smith at right back um and we didn't play Morgan Williams that day anyway so it was still trying to find the balance of the best team it was quite early on I think it was the August bank holiday but this time we had our best team out um so it's you, you can't really point to anything and said oh we had a makeshift defense or this, that or the other, we just got beaten badly. So I, yeah. thought, I actually thought his um, post-match presser, I don't know if you agree with me, Laura, was was pitch perfect and a managerial masterclass. And I thought 
like you you quite often see sort of lower league managers going viral um in the yeah. post match press conferences like for going like hammer and tong into their players for obviously a bad result and he probably could have done that but he yeah. sort of said look these players have been brilliant for me this season we'll let him have this one and we'll go yeah. again the next day and I thought do you know what? If I was a player in that dressing room, I would I'd be sat there thinking, yeah. Do you know what? We have been good this season. We, it was one bad performance, um, but and he, and he, he mentioned didn't he? he said the players they knew that they they didn't run as hard. They knew they didn't run um, or weren't as determined as uh, the Welling players. So um, I think it was a managerial masterclass. Albeit it all depends on what the next couple of results are, but um, I think exactly he did. That. Yeah, I thought he did really well there. It, exactly that. The proof's in the pudding with that, isn't it? And unfortunately, the next game for Yeovil is Wrexham away yeah. in the FA Cup on Sunday. Live well, on TV. Was a free hit. Huh? He said it was a free hit. And it is really, isn't it? It is a free hit. But when you we then go to Bath in the league in a big game, they're like fourth Bath away on the Wednesday. And if we if we go and get trounced by wet Wrexham, all of a sudden you've lost three of your last four um, yeah. quite badly as well. So... I'm not sure free hits the right terminology. I'd much rather be going into that game off the back of all of those wins rather than drawing at Chippenham and getting smashed up at Welling. So really, really interesting to see what the reaction's like, albeit against a, a brilliant Wrexham team. Yeah, yeah, free hit, but you don't want to get embarrassed, do you? You want to maintain some sort of form um, before going back into the league. But yeah, hopefully a bit of turnaround in fortunes for Yeovil. But I think if we'd have said... End of November, you're happy with eight points clear in the league. I think everyone would be. So, uh, yeah, nothing to panic about yet. Boys, we'll finish up with another uh, Pyramid Pod treble. Uh, midweek action, obviously, so loads to pick from uh, across Europe and the Football League. Uh, Tomo, do you want to go first this week? Um, yeah, sure. I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to try and pick a banker because um, I seem to be getting them wrong every single week. So I'm going to go Middlesbrough at home. Uh, to Preston, it's four to six, so it's not great odds. Um, but and Middlesbrough did lose to Bristol City on the weekend, but I just fancy them. Laurie, I'm I'm going to go Bolton to beat Oxford away, nine to five, way too big odds. I'm going to stay in League One. I'm going to go for Derby away at Port Vale at Evens again. Think great odds. Uh, so that's Middlesbrough home to um Preston. Bolton away at Oxford and Derby away at Port Vale. £10 on that with Skybet will return you £93.33. Uh, Got to keep the faith with this. A win is very much due. Uh, might get slightly better odds with other bookmakers. But I said last week that I thought uh, that was going to be it for the treble. But I hadn't banked on your two teams losing. Let's keep the faith. This week we'll get one uh, and hopefully get uh, a bit of profit back into the accounts but boys that's all we got time for we'll be back on Thursday uh, obviously review all the midweek European and Football League action and look ahead to uh, the weekend action as well but pleasure as always have a great week and speak to you soon cheers boys one two three